Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. One of the more complicated setups. We're sorry for showing up a little bit late. We had a chaotic webcam issue. Now I'm here on my phone. Let's just, let's just show everybody, Michael, your, your webcam. <laughs> if you're tuning in, you'll uh, see. Let's see if I can get this working. Out of control. Technical difficulties, but it's yeah. one of the most highly anticipated shows of the year. And that's going to be our college football preview for the season, talking about who we think is going to be the best teams and what's going to happen in the college football playoff. Uh, we've done some games this weekend, though, Michael. What did you What did you take away from some of that early, the early action? Usually the oh, games are a little sloppier to start the season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there was some sloppiness in these games. You know, you look at Illinois versus Nebraska. Illinois obviously able to pull out the big victory, which was huge for the Illini. And obviously that is tremendous for Brett Belima and his first coaching performance for the Fighting Illini. But on the other side, Nebraska, now Scott Frost sits on a very hot, hot seat. And if things don't turn around quickly, if Nebraska doesn't get any momentum going, on early in the season, Scott Frost might not make it to the end of the year. Now, on the other hand, there were some other games as well. UConn finally got back in action despite getting smacked by Fresno State. And UCLA looked very strong on the ground. Dorian Thompson-Robinson obviously still has some work to do as a passer, but a very strong performance for the UCLA Bruins in what is something that you and I both consider a dark horse year for them to potentially go up and win the Pac-12. Yeah, I like that. You know, I like what Chip Kelly's doing now. I think it's clicking so far. Uh, see what happens there. Um, lots to be excited about if you are a Bruins fan. Uh, at the NFL level, um, we had some movement around here. And despite the fact that Urban Meyer said it was an open competition, it was close, Trevor Lawrence has named the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then Gardner Minshew is headed to the Philadelphia Eagles it's a crowded QB room there in Philadelphia with him, Joe Flacco, and Jalen Hurts. Obviously, Hurts is going to start the season. Uh, we'll see if he finishes the season. Um, what do you What do you make of the fact that the Eagles actually did go ahead and pick up Minshew when they have Flacco as as the backup? Yeah, I think it's something that kind of shows that they're very much open to the opportunity to bring in new talent. And I think that's something that shouldn't surprise a lot of people just because it's been Howie, Rose's, Howie Roseman's mantra the entire time is trying to get these QB factory type of name in Philadelphia. And, you know, Minshew has the talent to where there's enough reason to kind of bring them in and see what they can do with them. And I think Jalen Hurts is definitely who they want to be their star QB, who they want to be the face of their franchise. But at the same time, he hasn't proven enough to where you are 100% bought in, in my opinion. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting about the Eagles uh, last year, uh, we all know how you know the season kind of ended uh, where the, the Eagles were – they had to kind of win a game to – Enable maybe the Giants make the playoffs, and they're like, "Oh, we want we're, we're going to pull Hearts to get a look at." And the quarterback's name is escaping me right now. Uh, that was kind of wild, and that guy's not even on the roster. I totally forget who that player is, but obviously he was uh, nothing too special there. 
um, in that sense. But yeah, the Eagles, you know, who knows what Howie Roseman's trying to do here. Uh, right now, the Eagles fans, it's kind of fit, leaving a lot to be desired. Um, and it's, it's, it's disappointing uh, for, for a lot of Eagles fans. Uh, but look, this team, they went so long um, without winning Super Bowl. They got the Super Bowl. Um, and it could be worse off. Uh, other teams to note here is a bit of a COVID outbreak with the Colts, so we'll see what happens there. Quinton Nelson returned from COVID, but now Carson Wentz, uh, amongst others, has COVID. Um, Dobbins with the Ravens, torn ACL. He's going to be out for the season. And I was all talking, oh, they got to bring Todd Gurley. I don't know, Michael. I think Todd Gurley is done, and I'm not really sure how much of an upgrade he'd be over Gus Edwards or anybody else at this point. Yeah, I think if I had to make my prediction, I'd probably go with Mark Ingram out of the Texans. I think the Ravens could swing a low-value round pick to get Ingram back, someone familiar with the system, and really allow for them to have a pretty split backfield between Ingram and Edwards. Mm -hmm. And I think the Texans themselves – you know, they're just more so looking to collect capital. They have Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, Rex Burkhead. So they aren't needing to hold on to these aging veteran running backs. And I think for a team like the Ravens, where they could definitely use that experience, it'd be huge for both sides. Yeah, and I think if you're going to perhaps sign a veteran running back, maybe you, you look to somebody who had a pretty solid year with the Lions last year. And that would be Adrian Peterson with 604 rushing yards and seven touchdowns in 156 attempts. Seems like Peterson still wants to play. Hearing some very minor rumors out there about uh, the Jaguars might have some interest and perhaps the Falcons. Uh, we'll see. I think I think ultimately somebody's going to sign Peterson again this year. Uh, I mean, coming off the, the really high-quality season he had last year, how could you not consider him? Yeah, I mean, AP just seems to be the new Frank Gore where he's just always able to contribute in some form or fashion. And, you know, if the Ravens bring him in, I, I couldn't say it'd be a bad move. And the other move uh, that happened today, actually, uh, was that the Giants made a trade. Uh, the Giants traded with the Bengals. They traded B.J. Hill, uh, pass rusher to the Bengals for center Billy Price. Uh I've been saying on the show for months, the Giants did not fix their offensive line issues. Uh, they got rid of their best offensive lineman in Zeitler, didn't replace him. And maybe after the preseason, they kind of noticed that, hey, maybe we need to get some better protection in here. Uh, but yeah, the offensive line is going to be a big uh, talking point with this Giants team this whole season. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch the entire Patriots-Giants preseason game, but from the large chunk that I was able to watch in the beginning where Daniel Jones was getting all the reps. It just seems like the same issues as before too many forced turnovers, inability to read off of his blocks inability to make the quick decisions when evaluating coverage. And in turn, you know, those turnovers build up while Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott had their issues. I think there's still a big question mark for what Daniel Jones is able to do for himself. And it's going to lead some issues for the giants this season on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. And, you know, you have a, a 
quarterback coming off injury, you have a running back coming off injury. Got to got to let those guys hold up. Uh, lastly, here, you know, it seems that Le'Veon Bell is really desperate to get back in the league here. I don't know if anyone's going to sign him. I mean, in hindsight, I guess he's really <laughs> he shouldn't have held out the whole season with the Steelers, but he's 29 years old and looks like. There's very minimal interest in him. He didn't do much with the Chiefs at all last year uh, when he went there from the Jets. With the Jets, he was just a disaster, but that was a lot of that's on the Jets. Le'Veon Bell, Michael, you think we see him playing all this year? It's tough to say. I think Le'Veon has some talent still left in the tank, but at the same time, there are so many options out there that are kind of more intriguing just because of the question mark about it. Whereas we've seen a lot of issues for Le'Veon Bell to really get going, especially in great situations. While maybe the Jets weren't a great situation, and I think no one would argue that. I think you look at you know a situation like Kansas City where a lot of people thought, oh, if he has anything left in the tank, then the Chiefs are going to absolutely demolish on the ground. And he just never really got going. Right. Uh, speaking of his 14, the Jets – Zach Wilson has been tremendous. Uh, the fans are really buying in after in, pre, in the training camp. They say the bust. People are being crazy, saying, "Oh, he's he's better than Trevor Lawrence." Listen, I think I think I've been really high on Zach Wilson for over a year. Wish he could have been a giant, but he's going to be tremendous. Um, but Jets fans need to temper their expectations of him in year one. I think he will have a good year, but. That should not be indicative of the Jets' record. I think the Jets are going to struggle. I think at best they're looking at five wins this year. Their division is very tough. We know what Brian Flores and the Dolphins have done. We know the Bills are one of the best teams in football. And the Patriots, Michael, as you know, their defense is back. It is going to be really, really tough to put points up on them. Uh, I think the offense is going to be greatly improved with the two tight ends, and the running game, so much so that you know they've traded Sony Michelle. They don't even need him to get a six-round pick for him. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens when if Mac if or when Mac Jones takes over this season. But you know, as a Patriots fan, you got to feel a lot, uh, you know, better going into this season than you did last year. Oh, absolutely. You know, the weapons are better. I think the run game is going to be very established with Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and J.J. Taylor have proven themselves pretty well in preseason as well to kind of fill that question mark of what's going to happen now that Sonny Michelle's off in L.A. You know, and whether it's Cam Newton or Mac Jones, I think the opportunity for success is much better for both quarterbacks to really have an opportunity to shine. And I, I look forward to seeing what it is. A lot of rookie success comes down to just having a good situation surrounding them, and it's hard to find much better than New England. No doubt about it. And, you know, last night we see some of the football, the Browns. We'll see a lot of the Browns this year. The Browns, and we'll talk about – we'll do a little NFL preview next week, but I think the Browns are going to be right there all season as far as record is concerned with the Chiefs and – I think everybody in that locker room believes they can beat the Chiefs. Wouldn't surprise me if they do beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. Um, you know, Mayfield. We'll see if they get an extension done with him. But overall, you look up and down this team, and there's there's no holes with the Cleveland Browns. 
Oh, absolutely. And they added Malik McDowell, who has really proven to be a stud so far in the preseason, a former second round pick that had gobs of potential, really had to step away from the NFL for a while due to off-field issues, whether it was issues running in with, you know, just personal issues or just stuff that, you know, would get him suspended. But now it seems like he has a clear head on his shoulders, seems like he's kind of gotten everything figured out. And as a player, you know, the talent wasn't really a question mark for me, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does with Cleveland, especially with such a great situation around him. No doubt about it. And this could be the last year with, with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, uh, a lot of money in those guys. So we'll see how they do this year. I think the whole narrative of the Browns are right about Odell is kind of crazy. The Browns, we know, are built around the run, but, you know, you say all the time, and people get annoyed, but, you know, you run to set up the pass, and if everyone's ready for the run and you you hit Odell wide open, it's going to be uh, it's bad news for the defense because he's going to turn it. We do have a comment here, a little fantasy question here for you, Michael. Kevin D wants to know if he should start Jerry Judy, Michael Gallup, or Jamar Chase week one. I've seen Jamar Chase getting a lot of hate recently on social media. A lot of people are worried about him. I wouldn't be too worried about him because I think ultimately Burrow's going to look for him a lot just because the last time I played together, they were winning a national championship. Uh, but your th- your thoughts on these three guys, I, I, would, I would probably start uh, Gallup or Chase, but your thoughts on these guys and in, in general, specifically your thoughts on Chase coming into his rookie year. Yeah, I think it's tough because I would probably leave Gallup off here just because I think with the Tampa Bay Bucks defense, there's going to be some issues in terms of just finding that opportunity. But at the same time, you know, I expect Dallas Cowboys offense to really be firing away and that could result in some big moments. I think personally for me, I'm probably looking at Jerry Judy. I think Bradbury's going to be lined up on uh, Cortland Sutton. And in turn, you know, a lot of the wide open targets are going to go to Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, guys like that. And I think this is a great opportunity for both Judy and Bridgewater to sort of establish himself in this offense. And the Giants are kind of lacking at that cornerback two spot. So I think it's a great opportunity for both, you know, just matchup and just overall narrative. And I think that's why I lean Jerry Judy of these three for week one. So I know you're very high on the Broncos. They do name Teddy Bridgewater the starting quarterback. What do you think is the the ceiling for the Broncos with Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback? Yeah, I think this situation's actually pretty interesting because a lot of offseason we were saying, look, they're going to go with Drew Locke because if you go away from Drew Locke, then it's almost like you're calling him a failure to the franchise and you're kind of forcing your hand next offseason to get your new QB. But I've kind of reevaluated it now, and I'm kind of thinking maybe – Benching Drew Locke early is a good move because it sort of opens his door of, well, can you earn it back? And from there, we'll see what happens. Because if he starts right away, every single game you're saying, okay, when does Bridgewater start? When does he lose this job? But if he is able to earn that job back, then maybe it's a nice you know, wake-up call for him and he's able to really kind of get the thing situated. Because talent, pure talent, has never been an issue for Drew Locke. It's just trying to really get that talent into a molded, polished game to where he can be that franchise QB. Now, will Drew Locke be the franchise quarterback for Denver? I don't think so. You know, personal evaluation, I don't think he's going to be that guy. But I think this situation is going to be 
better for Locke than if he were to start out the season just because of the way he's handled it and the way the Broncos are set up. Personally, though, for what's going on right now, you know, focusing in on the Broncos themselves, the big thing is if the QB can stay out of the way, then I absolutely think they are a playoff contender. And I think Bridgewater can do that. I think he can handle it, you know, do a nice 15 for 25 each game, 160 yards, one touchdown, two touchdowns, maybe one interception most. And I think that's kind of what the Broncos need, you know, establish a run, really rely on Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, quick passing with guys like Jerry Judy and Noah Fant. And then, you know, it's really just kind of lob up passing with Sutton and with his body control. I really do think that this team is set up for success and it really all falls down on Bridgewater. And I, I think it's going to go well. Now to college. So, you know, we just gave you the big news, which was that, Oh, well, let's, we'll stick to NFL one more time here. Kevin D really coming to us for the, the fantasy advice here. He's got Kyle Murray and Jonathan Taylor for his quarterback and running back, which I think is great. Austin Eckler, Angie Harris, Donald Jones, Hines Stevens, Trey Sermon, whoever's here now, Robinson, Jerry Judy, uh, you know, Marvin Jones, defense to Rams, kicker Rodrigo. You got a good kicker. You got a good quarterback. You got a good running back. I think you need some help there, wide receiver or tight end. Um, but, you know, best, best of luck to you this season, Kevin Day. Uh, yeah, I like your team. I think if you can figure out wide receiver two, then you are definitely looking to contend. No doubt about it. Yeah, I think Murray could be really good this year, potentially MVP. Uh, now, at college, Michael, obviously the big news was that Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to the SEC. So, you know, tough, tough luck, Big 12. You're basically done. And now we know they're really done because the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12 come together to form the alliance. So what does this mean? Well, at this point, it doesn't mean that much, Michael. The schedule alliance will begin as soon as practical while honoring current contract obligations. So if you look at all these divisions contracts, you're looking at 2032 most likely for this to begin. So who knows what college football is going to look like like then. Um, so two takeaways for you here is the Big 12, you're out of luck. Um, and number two takeaway is everybody wants to get together here to kind of compete with the SEC and Stay strong. So your thoughts on this this alliance that came together? Yeah, this is a strange alliance because it didn't really seem to tell us anything. There was sort of an agreement that they would schedule each other, and that's great. But this is, you know, 10 years down the road almost. It just seems as though this is a desperate attempt to kind of avoid being eaten up by the SEC machine. But... It's hard to see how, you know, a school like Clemson, let's say the SEC comes knocking, how this alliance is really going to hold them there. If they're loyal to the ACC, whatever, but it's not going to be because the ACC made this alliance with the Big Ten, made this alliance with the Pac-12, where really it just has little to no influence on it. And then, you know, we still see where USC is making this agreement with LSU, who's in the SEC for a scheduled matchup. So it's just... It just seemed like a desperate attempt to kind of establish themselves as, hey, you know, we're still power conferences. Don't don't get all uh, all the attention to the SEC. We're very much relevant. And, you know, they are. I think I think both these or all three of these conferences are still going to survive. But 
I think it was just more of an attempt to kind of keep the attention on all of the conferences rather than just the SEC. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Like you said, really nothing really came of it. We'll just have to, to wait and see. But, you know, I'm looking forward, Michael, to, to seeing how the conferences shake out uh, this year because it's probably the last year we'll have the, you know, the, the traditional power five and, and who's going to, you know, win what and a typical rivalries. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking on that as well, a lot of these conferences – are looking into expansion as well. Pac-12 decided that they wouldn't. I think it's bad move on their end. Just so much opportunity for talented schools that could be brought in, and they are passing on that opportunity to really strengthen their conference. And I think it's something that desperately needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, the Pac-12 is a total afterthought um, because most people aren't watching their games at 10 p.m. or 9 p.m., depending on where you are. Um Quite frankly, they haven't had a powerhouse team uh, since, uh, you know, Chip Kelly left Oregon um, and Andrew Luck was at Stanford. So there's not that much jazz coming out of the, the West Coast. And they have a chance to, you know, take some of these second tier schools uh, in the big uh, in the pack in the Big 12 and take some of these independents and they don't want it. Uh, I'm not really sure why that's the case, but I don't think that helps them at all, Michael. Yeah, I think it's something that if they want to stay in this picture and not kind of fall down a tier, and there's an argument that could be made that they already are sort of under the rest of the big conferences, then they need to expand. And I expect the Big Ten and the ACC will look to add some of these schools that are now kind of being left over by the Big 12 if, if it does disband. And I think the Pac-12 needs to get in on that while they can. Yeah, I think it's overdue to get set of like Boise State in the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, how many times are they going to beat up on Pac-12 teams? And there's other schools there, but as well. But yeah, I think ultimately the Big Ten is going to have their choice or whatever school they want to, to have join their conference. Absolutely. And real quick before we dive into the whole college football prediction, last episode talked about the corners but we missed the opportunity to talk about safeties just due to technical difficulties real quick just want to run through these guys uh you know for potential risers in this class i'm looking at nick cross out of maryland xavier henderson out of michigan state landon zanders out of clemson aishim young out of iowa state and aj finley out of ole miss all these guys offer you know a different set of skills i think zanders and henderson are more the strong safety type aishim young and cross can really play all over Finley's very young, nice size, and I think he's a free safety type. All five of these guys are really enticing prospects and guys that haven't gotten a lot of attention when it comes to where they should be at in these safety rankings. Pay attention to them. And the top 10 going into the season as this class starts, number 10, we got Isaiah Polamau. At number nine, we got Jalen Petrie. At number eight, we got Lewis Sign. At number seven, we got Smoke Monday out of Auburn. At number six, we got Daxon Hill out of Michigan. Number five, we got Jordan Battle out of Alabama. Number four, Aishin Young out of Iowa State. Number three, Brandon Joseph out of Northwestern. Number two, Nick Cross out of Maryland. And number one, Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame. This is a very fun safety class. So many years we've kind of had a limited pool in the safety area. This is a great class. Free safety, strong safety, money backers, guys that can do it all. 
it's filled in this class, and this is a great opportunity for your team to really kind of establish itself in the safety department. Personally, you know, I'm a Patriots fan. Devin McCourty's years are coming down to their final ones. You know, whether it's this year or next year, Devin McCourty is probably going to be retiring soon. The Patriots will look to replace him at free safety. If you are celebrating a team that has a similar situation, you know, needs an immediate free safety, needs one down the road, this is the class to get excited about. These are some studs, and there is such a great opportunity for success from this class. Yeah, Michael. Uh, let's also keep in mind here that with Fred Shanna building Rutgers, there'll be plenty of Rutgers Scarlet Knights playing for the Patriots <laughs> the next few years, especially in the secondary. You know Bill Belichick loves the guys that Greg Shiano puts together for him on defense. Oh, absolutely. I'm expecting uh, in about two or three years, Patriots are just going to have, you know, consistent Rutgers pipeline, two or three guys every year coming to the team from, from the Scarlet Knights. It's worked before. So if it ain't broke, <laughs> don't fix it. Absolutely. And, you know, some of these great safeties are going to be playing part in some great programs. And those programs are going to be playing part in some, wonderful football this year me and nick dove in made some deep predictions we're going to talk about our conference winners for the major conferences the top school from the g5 and independence and then we're going to show us show you guys our playoff bracket and our champion for the season so nick i'm going to let you go ahead and take it away going to pull it all up here so spoilers if you uh don't want to be spoiled and just want to listen you know close your eyes close your eyes but here you are all right michael so we're doing this exercise, uh, picking these teams, and it was not easy. It definitely was not easy to do. Um, so I'll just do my conference winners here first. I like Clemson. They're going to go undefeated. I do think UNC is going to have a tremendous year, uh, but they're not going to be able to compete with Clemson. The Big Ten, I hate to do it, but how do you not pick Ohio State? I'd love to see Michigan finally beat them this year. Uh, they're not playing Wisconsin from what I saw, so that's good for them. Um, and that's going to help them uh, until last they play them in the, in the championship game. I think Wisconsin's good in the Big Ten, but uh, Ohio State, there's really not much many threats there. Uh, the Big 12 will go Oklahoma. They have a lot of buzz around them here. I don't know if they go undefeated. Um, they're definitely going to win the conference. If last year taught us anything, it's that even if they have a bad start, you can't count them out. They're going to be there at the end. Pac-12, I mentioned them earlier on the show. I like I like what I saw from UCLA. And I love to pick Arizona State again, but I think there's too much controversy with them uh, off the field. So for me – had to go with UCLA. I don't like anything I've seen out of USC. Um, I think the consensus pick, other than you and I, is probably you know, picking Utah. I think Utah is great, but um, try to be a little different here. Uh, we'll remember here that you know, once upon a time, Chip Kelly was the Pac-12. So we'll see if things get back there. SEC, this was an easy one, but I do think Texas A&M has enough this year where they can beat Alabama. So I am picking Texas A&M to win the SEC, uh, but that's okay, Alabama fans. As you'll see later on, we discussed the playoff brackets uh, and the G5 independence. 
Notre Dame, I think they if they could beat Wisconsin, they're going to go undefeated. If not, they won't loss. And ultimately, what it comes down to there is just going to be, you know, can they go undefeated? Because if so, they'll make the playoffs. They always do if they're undefeated. And then just what's going around the rest of the country. I think, Michael, this year we have a legitimate shot uh, that we're going to see um, four undefeated teams in the college football playoff. Um, but, you know, that's that's why conference winners there. The playoff bracket there on the screen on my side is incorrect, but we'll get to that momentarily. Do not have Oklahoma in there by Ohio State. So your thoughts, Michael, on my conference winners? Yeah, I mostly agree with you, obviously, you know, you can look over and see that there's a little bit of difference for us. But ultimately, I think there's going to be similar winners. Uh, you know, we both are going out on a limb a little bit with the prediction of UCLA winning the Pac-12. But at the same time, I think that there is just a great opportunity for them to really kind of make some noise in the Pac-12. You know, not big believer in Oregon this year. Or USC, I think that's probably the the favorite to win it. You know, you kind of look around at some of my other picks. Clemson and the ACC, I think they just have so much talent. Uh, Uigalele is someone that I think is going to, you know, really step forward and have a great year. The defense, I think, is completely established now. And it's going to result in a very strong Clemson team. You know, Ohio State, Alabama, new quarterbacks, but still so much talent on the surrounding roster. Oklahoma fielding one of the better teams that they've had in years. And I think this is their best chance under Lincoln Riley to be a legitimate championship winner. And then, you know, in the independence, I'm going with Cincinnati. I think the overall defensive talent that they have on that roster is just going to lead them to some big things this year. And because of that, you know, I think Cincinnati is going to be the top team outside of the Power Five conferences. It's interesting here, uh, and I'll just explain my playoff bracket a little more. You get the two SEC teams. Um, the reason I say that, I just think that a one-loss Alabama team would be more likely to get in than the, the, uh, the Big 12 champ uh, or the Pac-12 champion. Um I don't think UCLA is going undefeated. Um, what would be really interesting is if Oklahoma goes undefeated um, and, you know, they have Alabama with a one loss, uh, based on the schedule, Alabama would be the better team. But then it's kind of like messed up. Like, oh, you're really not going to reward a team for going undefeated. So it's going to be interesting there. We've seen this scenario before where the one loss Alabama gets in to the playoff uh, over another conference winner. And I just, you know, if if Oshin does go undefeated, it's really going to Merkle things there because they'll be in um, Clemson. If they're undefeated, it's going to be in Ohio State. If they're undefeated, it's going to be in. And it's kind of like, well, if Oklahoma goes undefeated and somebody from the SEC goes undefeated, what do you you know? What do you do? I think the SEC team would get in over Oklahoma at that point, and <laughs> that that'd be it for the 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 Big Twelve ever trying to win a championship because 
it's not going to happen. If it's not going to happen this year with Oklahoma or Texas, it's not going to happen. Yeah, there's so much talent out there in college football that really a lot of these teams run into that risk of beating up on each other. Ohio State probably has the clearest path to the college football playoff just because the Big Ten doesn't seem to pose the same type of threat that, you know, ACC has North Carolina that can challenge Clemson. Big 12 has Iowa State and Texas that you can never count out. Iowa State obviously beat Oklahoma last year in the regular season matchup, lost in the conference championship. We could see some similar results from that because Iowa State's going to be a very difficult team to beat twice if Oklahoma has that type of fate. In the Pac-12, you know, while we're picking UCLA, that doesn't mean that USC, Oregon, all these schools could very easily beat up on each other and really take out the Pac-12 from the playoff picture. In the SEC, Alabama is always going to be a contender, but also don't sleep on teams like Texas A&M, teams like LSU to potentially bounce back. And then other schools, you know, such as Florida and other opportunities for Auburn and many others alike that could really just surprise any week. And then, you know, the independents, G5 type schools always have a difficult time getting in. So there's not a lot of clear paths to the playoffs. And, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of chaos this year in college football with just so many teams that really get this full opportunity for full season. And with so many guys that are returning, we're going to see some major games that really just blow up and create some chaos in the rankings. But ultimately I think that's why I went a little safe with my playoff prediction and kind of predicted that the ordinary four is what I'll call it to prevail and make it this playoff field. Ordinary four. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, Basically, every year, if you wanted to just pencil in Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma as your four, um, you know, you get you get a nail three out of those four guaranteed every year. It just, you know, every few years, you can guarantee, you can bet on Notre Dame getting in. Like I said, Notre Dame goes undefeated. They're always going to be in there. And then every, you know, three or four years, there's going to be another SEC team that rises up, you know, a la... LSU, you know, an Auburn or something like that, that will come through. They'll have one great year. They'll win the championship and they're going to be knocked down a peg. And I just think if anybody in the SEC is going to do it this year, it's going to be Texas A&M. And the reason I'm confident picking them is because I think, you know, Alabama going back to back would be very tough. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we talk about the ICC. We talk about some of these teams having a very tough path. Clemson has to play Georgia week one, and that is not going to be easy, especially for a young team that, you know, lost a lot of talent to, you know, the transfer portal, to the NFL draft. And that's going to make Clemson really either establish themselves as a top dog for the season or show off some potential weaknesses that could linger on as the season goes along. And if Georgia's able to pull off that week one win, then they become an instant favorite to potentially make the playoffs. So don't sleep on any of these programs in college football, especially some of these bigger programs that have been kind of waiting in the wings for this opportunity to really attack because this is the year to do it with all the change that's happening, especially at the most important spot, quarterback. Speaking of quarterback, Texas A&M named Keynes King as their quarterback. I don't know if there's much – there's really not much out there on him, but – just interested your thoughts on him as at the quarterback position. Yeah, he's a quick, mobile-type guy, going to be able to really make some plays with his feet, going
going to roll out, make some passes that are going to be impressive. I think that the potential is there for Haynes King to be that guy that is able to carry what Texas a needs. But at the same time, that youth is going to really prevail, and there's not a lot that we've been able to see from him. So what happens here for Haynes King is going to be crucial for the Aggie season. If he is able to step up and really do his job and be a star or just be very good, then Texas A&M is as much of a contender as anyone. All right, so that's the teams you think are going to be good, but uh, you know, Samantha here is loving our takes, so that's great. Great, thank you, Samantha, for watching. Appreciate it, uh, Michael. There's, it's all about the talent, though, on the field. Uh, you know, a lot of great coaches here, uh, but we got to talk about Heisman Trophy. Interested to hear from you. I think I know which way you're going here, uh, especially based on who you got in the finals um, for the national championship, but who is your Heisman favorite for this season? Yeah, I think right now the Heisman favorite for me has to be Spencer Rattler. Just the opportunity to really succeed in a Lincoln Riley offense, I think is going to set him up well, but you kind of look around at the rest of the league and I think all these QBs are in a great situation. CJ Stroud going against a easier big 10 than usual with two of the greatest wide receivers in college football could easily propel him up into the conversation. Bryce Young is going to really be relied on for this Alabama offense to succeed because the run game hasn't necessarily been established with Najee Harris being a bell cow for the Crimson Tide. And that kind of opens up the door for Bryce Young to really be the focal point of what is already one of the most dominant programs in college football history. And then, you know, we talked about DJ Uigalele is a stud. He's put up some great 400-yard performances in Trevor Lawrence's absence last year. So we could very easily see one of these QBs do it. Personally, I'm between C.J. Stroud and Spencer Rattler, and I'm going to go with the guy that I've seen play, seen become the best player in college football over the back half of last year, and that's Spencer Rattler. All right, very good. He's the favorite at this point. And again, every year we see it, somebody comes out of the blue to kind of be the Heisman Trophy winner. We saw it the last two years. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off the grid here. Um, this guy's a great – prospect as you can tell everybody but i think sam howell is going to win the heisman trophy uh, i think unc is going to have a tremendous year uh i believe they will be undefeated going into the ac championship game where they will lose to clemson uh you know looking at their schedule they gotta play florida state but that's at home they have to play miami um, but that is at home. So that's a big breakdown for ACC schedule. Um, maybe they won't be undefeated, though. But you have to play Notre Dame in, in at Notre Dame. So that could be, you know, that's that's a pretty rough game there. But I think this team's going to be having a good year um, record-wise. And I think it's going to be led due to his quarterback play. I think he's going to get a lot of buzz. Uh, and... Kind of reminds me of the last time that Mac Jones had a quarterback who won the Heisman and Vince Young in the sense that he's getting a lot of buzz before it's going to be his last year. Um, and, you know, there's some other big contenders out there. And that year it was Leinert and Reggie Bush. Everyone's going to win the Heisman. And he kind of came in. Um, he didn't win the Heisman, Vince Young. Well, obviously, Reggie Bush won, but he had a tremendous year. And, uh, I think Sam Howell is a great shot to win the Heisman this year. 
Yeah, I think Hal's talent is never to be understated. With all the weapons that are leaving North Carolina, he has a huge chance to really put the team on his shoulders and could be rewarded for that. You know, just on a pure talent basis, like just raw natural ability, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to someone who was announced as starter today for the Tennessee Volunteers, Joe Milton. And you know, he was at Michigan, too many issues with inconsistency, but pure size, ability to throw the ball down field with ease, great mobility. If Joe Milton is able to put it all together, this is something that we could very easily talk about as a potential first round quarterback, as a potential Heisman contender, you know. The ceiling is unlimited for a guy like Milton if he's able to put it together. But, you know, we'll see what happens. No doubt about it. Uh, and speaking of really people transferred and, you know, you kind of forgot about, uh, JT Daniels is going to start for the Georgia Bulldogs, as I mentioned Georgia before. Uh, he was he had a lot of hype uh, about USC because as a freshman, he, he started uh, in 2018. He had... 2,600 and some passing yards, fourth touchdowns. Um, I don't think this guy is like a pro prospect, Michael. Um, I think kind of saw what he is at USC, but he was very highly touted coming into college. And, um, and we'll see what happens with, with Georgia here, but it's not really a place where the offense is intuitive to get somebody to, you know, be a big time uh, draft prospect at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think for JT Daniels last year, from what I saw, I wasn't a huge fan of his jump to the potential NFL draft type of situation. But at the same time, he was coming off of an injury and there's still a lot that could be recovered in that time. And maybe, you know, with a full off season of healing up, a full opportunity to kind of get things going again, we could see some more natural arm talent pop out. And we can see some major strides both for him and for this Georgia offense. There's a lot of speed at this wide receiver room, even with George Pickens out for the season. I think there's still plenty of weapons and opportunity, and uh, there's no shortage of running back talent. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with JT Daniels. I think he's a huge piece of this Georgia's offense and Georgia's success for this season. But I think the, uh, the talent surrounding that roster really makes them enticing for anyone looking to, you know, Pick someone outside of Alabama to win the SEC this year. All right, there you have it. We gave you the Heisman's. We gave you the uh, national champions, and now Michael. Right now, who is going to be the first pick in the NFL draft? And what team is going to be making that pick? You know, I'm going to be boring. I'm going to say Houston Texans will be picking first, and they will pick Spencer Rattler. Uh, just. Right now, the Texans just don't have any clarity on what the roster is going to look like, who's going to be a QB, and the talent surrounding that QB is still going to be struggling. So even if Watson gets cleared and they say, you know what, he can start week one, he's all good, and you know play the rest of the year, and he says, look, I'm happy to be a Texan, I can't wait to get going, the team's going to be bad. There's just not talent on this roster. Like There's some young talent. There's some bright spots. But this team overall is bad, and they won't have the first pick if Watson plays all 16, but they will still be a bottom 10 squad. And, you know, without Watson, it just goes even further downhill. Tyrod Taylor, Davis Mills, whoever's a QB, it's going to be a rough situation. So Texans' number one pick, feel kind of confident in that. And then the pick right now I'm going with is Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma. 
Tony Paradise wants to know what we think is going to happen with Watson this year. Well, as of now, Michael, the NFL hasn't said anything. I really don't need to step in here. They're going to have to make some sort of announcement this week. I mean, Texans got a game plan here for week one with Tyrod Taylor and, and figure everything out. But I think Watson's going to be on some sort of indefinite commissioner's list leave. Let's call it that. And if we see him cleared to play, um, probably looking at November. Um, let's just say he's clear, clear in October. He's got to have to come in. He's got to practice. He's not going to start right away. Um, so if anything, Michael, I'm going to guess we see Deshaun Watson in November. Yeah, I, I really have no idea what to make of the situation. I think um, we probably won't see him this year both in the mix of what's happening off field and just him not wanting to play for the Texans. I'm going to assume that we just do not see Deshaun Watson this year at all. Whether or not that means his suspension gets served this year is really up in the air because the NFL probably should have had some sort of decision made on the situation already. Um, and it just it leaves it all such a question mark and such a bundle of confusion because – you know, if, if Watson were planning on playing, if, if there weren't this personal issue with the Texans right now, then the Texans would be furious because why don't we have a decision on our hopeful starting QB? But because Watson doesn't really seem to be intent on playing, if he does get cleared, it now just creates sort of a window of leeway for the NFL to really not have to decide yet. But I, I'm just kind of going in with the expectation we will not see Deshaun Watson this year. Yeah, um, I think that's that's kind of, that's kind of the way you got to go at this point. Because um, what else? What else is really? There's no other information out there. All right, I thought we got we got some Wednesday night and some Thursday night college football this week. Um, so, you know, what game are you looking forward to? You know me, I, I gotta I gotta keep an eye on Rutgers and Temple Thursday night. Uh, I think Rutgers is gonna have a, a good year. Uh, Wagner College taking on Buffalo. They're going to get spanked, but that'll be an interesting game because Wagner is by me. Um, what are you What are you looking for? I know the big the big debut is probably the Utah's playing Weber State, but um, Thursday is a big game right out the gate in the Big Ten with Ohio State and Minnesota. Yeah, I think that's where my eyes really focus on. Want to see C.J. Stroud really kind of prove himself. And Minnesota's a good defense to do it against. So really a great Thursday night game to start off. What is sort of week one of college football? They kind of referenced last weekend as week zero. Confusing, but, you know, try not to think too much of it. Uh, you know, I talked about Joe Milton earlier. Definitely want to see how he does against Bowling Green. And then, you know, there's some other great games. Central Florida versus Boise State have some great players on their roster that really could be interesting NFL prospects when the time comes. And, you know, I think if you're looking for a enjoyable Thursday night of college football, then you're absolutely getting it. Yep. And we'll be back on Friday. Got a lot of games Friday night we could discuss. And of course we'll have the whole weekend to the true opening Saturday of the college football season. Michael will be glued to his couch and television throughout Saturday. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we want to thank everyone in the comment section for all things NFL, NFL draft, college football, and 
all of it beyond, you know, we're here to cover it all. And we are looking forward to this season. We're getting closer and closer to the NFL. We're already in the window of college football. We can't be happy. We can't be happier about it. We are so thrilled and we look forward to talking about it twice a week with you guys, Monday and Friday here on the Chris Landry football, Twitch channel, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Go ahead and give us a like and subscribe down below. And we'll see you guys on Friday. Take care.